0: Christ our King, your name, your name Resurrected King is resurrecting me. In your name I come alive to declare your victory. The resurrected King is resurrecting We'll declare this over your life today. Borrowed for three days, his body there would not remain. Our God has loved
1: This generation. Amen. Glory to God. Glory to God. We're declaring revival in this day, this hour for our nation. Amen. Praise God. Thank you, worship team and uh, worship arts department. And uh, just a reminder, there is a luncheon today if you'd like to get connected to uh, what you saw presented earlier, any of the IT area, you can see Jennifer following this service, and that luncheon is in the lodge. Lodge, I'm sorry, in the lodge, and uh, you're welcome to attend. Everyone standing for the reading of the scriptures, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter ten. Don't forget the special service tonight titled "The Call" at six o'clock. We do not have an arrival time for all of our girls and the entire group, the buses and vans that will be returning yet. So soon, if we have that before the end of the service, we'll announce that. The message series is entitled History Part Two. And we're taking a, a look back so that uh, we can look forward, amen. There's some things that we wanna learn from the past so that we don't make mistakes in the future and so that we embrace our future amen i believe that 1st corinthians chapter 10 verse 1 says and i'm reading from the king james version moreover brethren i would not that ye should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized unto moses in the cloud and in the sea now he's using old testament illustrations that were very symbolic But they also had a New Testament application. And so you've got to be reminded how the Old Testament and the New Testament came together through the symbolism and what actually happened uh, in the New Testament. They were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud, in the sea. They did all eat the same spiritual meat and did all drink the same spiritual drink. For they drank of the spiritual rock that followed them. That rock was Christ. But many of them God was not pleased with, for they were overthrown in the wilderness, verse 6 and verse 11. Paul makes a point here. He says, these things were our examples to the intent we should not lust after evil things as they lusted. Look at verse 11. He repeats himself so that when the apostle repeats himself, he's trying to give a special emphasis. Now all these things happened unto them for our end samples. For they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. What he's saying is those of you that live at the end of the age, how many believe that the Lord is coming soon? That verse says, I'm addressing people that live at the end of the age on whom the ends of the world will come. You need to take stock in history. Learn the lessons of history. They have an application for those who are living in the last days. I believe there's a message for 2016 right here. Amen. You may be seated. Teddy Roosevelt said that the more that we know about the past, the better prepared we are for the future. Israel was God's people. They still are God's people. But there was a lesson that was marked in history. And Paul says there are our example for today. Verse 1, he says, don't be unlearned, don't be ignorant. I'm illustrating something very important about the history of Israel so that the Corinthian believers would not make the same mistake. You, you see, they had a communion and an association with idolaters in the Corinthian church. They were feeling very secure in their sinful ways. And he is trying to uh, persuade the Corinthian believers to not make the same mistake that their ancestors did. They felt that nothing could cut them off. And here you have the Corinthian believers involved in a lot of different things and being affected by the culture. There was actually a term that was used uh, in that day in, in, in Corinth, and it was uh, Corinth or Corinthicize or Corinthorize. And, and it was to make a disciple of Corinth or to make one like Corinth. And, and that, that carried a negative connotation to Corinthorize because it, it made you uh, susceptible to the false gods, to the lust and the sinful pleasures. All that was going on in Corinth was impacting the church. And so Paul is writing, learn a lesson of history, how that even God's people uh, came under the judgment of God. They all came out of Egypt, and they were all preserved going through the sea, and they were all preserved under the cloud. Uh, They ate the spiritual meat, drank the spiritual drink, and what he's saying is you have all these people that were God's people, but they got out in the wilderness, and they they. Fell into uh, false idol worship, into sinful sexual practice. Uh, they fell into other sins, and God allowed an entire generation to die in the wilderness. So, what Paul is saying, and he uses, and I just want to go back and share this one thought from last week. He uses the word example. And that word example literally means to take an axe and hit a tree and create a lasting mark on that tree. So that when you walk by, you can see that that, that tree has a mark on it. It's been marked and, and it leaves a permanent indication. Pressure has been applied through a blunt blow to that tree. And, and what history is to serve as an example to us that something happened in history to the people of God that cut them off. Paul is saying to the the Corinthian believers, he is saying, you have this feeling that you cannot be cut off, but let me remind you of our ancestors who God delivered, who God had his hand upon. He brought them out of Egypt, and he allowed them to die in the desert. I'm telling you, if the church is not careful today, we can get very pious, we can get very comfortable, we can get very apathetic thinking everything's okay. I do my church thing once in a while and everything's okay. I'm living a good life. I'm not doing anybody wrong. I haven't murdered anybody. And we can think because of a few positive things in our life that everything's okay. And Paul said, don't fall into that culture. Everybody say amen. And so in spite of all uh, that, the blessings of God, verse 5 says, they lusted after the evil things, and he overthrew them in the desert. We're learning some lessons of history here. There were specific judgments for specific sins. One of the sins was the, the idol worship that went on. Remember when they made the golden calf? Do you know that calf or cow worship came straight out of Egypt? And so what they were doing when they allowed that golden calf to be made, uh, while they they had already come out, they were tying themselves back to the past. Do you know what the devil wants to do? You have been brought out of Egypt. You've been brought out of the old life. And the devil wants to create an idol in your life to draw you back to the old past. And that's exactly, there was calf worship and cow worship going on all over Egypt. It was a part of the, the many gods that they had in the Egyptian culture. And he it, it was trying to tie them back. And, and what the devil wants to do is take things in our life, put idols in our life, and tie us back to the old life when we've been brought out of Egypt and we've been freed from those things. And, and so he gives that lesson. He also talks about sexual sins and and how they burned with lust and god brought judgment and he says do not verse 9 look at it. don't tempt christ that there was a destroying angel and if you look this up and study this it literally means an executioner of divine vengeance that god had an angel that executed divine vengeance because of, of, of their whoremongering, because they were adulterers, because God will judge those sins. And I want to tell you, the church needs to put away all forms of sexual sin. All forms of sexual sin need to be stopped. It was going on in the Corinthian church, and Paul even has to write one passage about that, and I'm telling you, there needs to be sexual purity in this hour. You can't have the anointing of God, friends, and live like the world. Don't get quiet on me. Learn the lessons of history. A generation died in the wilderness. You need to flee youthful lust. It's better to marry than burn. 23,000 died in Numbers 25 verse 9. Verse nine says, "Don't tempt Christ." Verse ten, the destroying angel, the executioner of divine, uh, of divine vengeance. The people spoke against Moses in Numbers twenty-one while they were in the wilderness. Now, remember, the church in the wilderness was a church; they were the Old Testament church. And there's applications for the New Testament church. They spoke against Moses. Remember when they rose up, the sons of Korah rose up against Moses and the leadership, and God judged them? Friends, it is a fearful thing. And I just want want to put this out there because I believe we live in an hour that people need to be very careful about touching the things of God and the people of God. And that spiritual leaders should not be put on a pedestal, but they should be honored and they should not be murmured against. It's a grievous thing that Paul says there is a mark on history that when they spoke against Moses, God brought judgment. When they murmured and complained, he sent snakes. And he sent other things. And there's a mark on history that we need to learn the lessons from history. Don't grumble, don't complain, don't murmur. Amen. We need to be armor bearers for the kingdom of God. Hey, come on. We need to be armor bearers for the things of God. You need to speak positively about the Lord's church and the Lord's leadership. Amen. Point number one this morning, Paul teaches, beginning now with verse 11, he teaches Israel's history, and he says all these things are an example. The Corinthians began to attack Paul because of his message. And they had teachers that uh, that were preaching soothing messages. Uh, And so Paul reminds them of their past sins, how how that they were representative of what was going on in the Corinthian church uh, during that hour. That God's judgment back in history uh, would would still be meted out even in the last days. That uh, the concluding period of uh, of the times of the Gentile, uh, which is a time of grace and mercy, would also be a time that God exacts judgment. The Bible says judgment begins at the house of the Lord. And verse 12, everyone look at it. I want you to look at this verse. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed that he fall, not fall. Recently, we were up in North Carolina, and uh, it snowed. It was very icy. And I watched people hit ice patches. And they would slip, and they would fall, and some injured themselves. And I thought, you know, when you think you're standing, very easily you could slip and fall. And Paul is using almost an exact translation of that, the words that he chooses, that people that think they have sure footing, they slip and fall. When you think you stand, take heed lest you fall. We can get to a place spiritually, well, I'm okay. I, you know, I'm doing this, this, and this, and we think that we're okay in God and we, we, we've crossed all the T's and dotted all the I's. Don't think you stand because, friends, Satan can come along and he can cause you to lose your footing. And so he uses that, uh, that, imp, that impact of those words there. In verse 13, he says, look at this. There hath no temptation taken you But such is common to men, but God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able. But with the temptation will also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. Sometimes you just have to look at some situations and you just have to realize this is a test I'm going through. But you have to know that in that test God says I'm going to give you grace and you're going to be able to bear it and you're going to be able to come through it. God working in our lives, he says, I'll never allow something to come into your life that you can't stand if you stand in Christ. The problem is we try to stand in our own ability. We try to stand in our own name, in our own background, in our own good works. I'm telling you, you got to get to a place where we're not standing on our own footing, but we're standing on Christ the solid rock. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Friends, uh, if we stand in Jesus, that's solid footing. And he says, there is no temptation that comes your way, that's common to man. Every temptation that he has identified here in chapter 10 were temptations that mankind has wrestled with. History reminds us, history repeats itself. The same temptations down through the history of man. There's a lust for power. uh, There's a lust for fame. There's a, a lust for things. And we've got to be aware of the temptations that has plagued human history. And we've got to stand in Jesus. But some of the things that we walk through are times of testing that God is purifying the metal. God is testing the metal, refining the metal. You see, your next level, the next place that God wants to put you is all about Him polishing some of the rough places off. Amen. Amen. God helping us to, to hone and be refined uh, so that the next level in our life can be a place where God's favor and blessing is at an enlarged place in our life. Learn the lesson of Israel. We see those that went through times of testing. Joseph, when he was in Potiphar's house, was tempted by Potiphar's wife, but what did he do? He left his cloak behind. Some of you need to flee some situations and you need to leave your cloak behind and realize this is a test. Paul was let down. The Apostle Paul, the great Apostle Paul who wrote much of the New Testament, he had to be one time let down over a wall. That was a test. He was let down over a wall in a basket. Well, no one likes to be let down over a wall in a basket, but there was a trying time, a testing time, and Paul uh, was fleeing for his life, and he was let down over a wall. Two spies in the Old Testament, a mirror example of that. Uh, As they had gone to survey Jericho, they were let down over the wall in a basket. I'm telling you, Jesus was tempted and tested in the wilderness, and, and he used... Uh, he said after the third temptation, get thee behind me, Satan. There are some times of testing you've just got to look the devil square in the eye and you got to say, I resist you in Jesus' name. Get behind me. You've got to take spiritual authority. Amen? America needs to learn, point number two, our spiritual history. I don't want to just talk about natural history. Last week I, I talked about the First Great Awakening and pointed out to you that we came out of the 1600s and there had been pockets of revival and we get into the 1700s and around 1720 to 1760 there was a great awakening. It's called the First Great Awakening. I don't want to go back there other than just mention uh, that uh, Jonathan Edwards, George Whitefield, John and Charles Wesley and many others were a part of that great awakening that came to America. But as I was studying revival this week, And I was looking at the Second Great Awakening, it hit me that following the First Great Awakening, right into the Revolutionary War. Following the Second Great Awakening, right into the Civil War. War followed, or war took place at the end of a great significant move. Now, I'm not just talking about pockets of revival. Because all through our history, there have been so many pockets of revival. But I'm talking about when the nation was in revival, and it was called a great awakening. We're praying for a third great awakening to hit America. But do you know what that that might culminate with going right into the tribulation and the battle of Armageddon, which I believe that will? But it hit me after the first and second, there were times of war that shook the nation. And, and probably uh, the next great awakening, which is prophesied by Joel and spoken of on the day of Pentecost by Peter, that in the last days God's going to pour out his Spirit. I'm telling you, the times of the Gentiles is coming to a close, and there's a time that God's going to visit this generation. Amen. To see so many young people being touched by the Spirit of God Friday night, I, I said, Lord, let that be something that's just sparked in, in this city that just, uh, just fans out. But revival broke out in many different places, and the second great awakening took place beginning in uh, the early 1800s. Charles Finney was mightily used of God. Prayer movements, and one of the significant things about every the two great awakenings and the smaller revivals was prayer was always a catalyst. You can't have revival without prayer. I'm telling you, everybody say amen. amen. There was a revolt against sedate and sober versions of Christianity. People got to a point they wanted to experience the power of God. They were tired of the same old, same old, and people began to hunger and long for the things of God. Circuit riders uh, in the Second Great Awakening began to fan out across America. There was an emphasis on personal holiness. Camp meetings were birthed. In the Second Great Awakening, the Appalachian The great Cane Ridge Revival. Now this was one of the pockets that really was just a mighty move of God up in Kentucky. When Tommy Bates has been here, we've talked about the Cane Ridge Revival because uh, they trace their ancestry and they trace even uh, their legacy back to the days of the Cane Ridge Revival. Tens of thousands of people came to that area of Kentucky. They stayed weeks on end, and, and there would be preaching twenty-four hours a day, seven days a week. And, and you would go, and you'd be a part of the service. Then maybe you'd go back to your tent and, and and be with your family and eat or whatever, and come back. But there was a people just gave up their individual pursuits of things because they were hungry for God. And I'm telling you, the Cane Ridge Revival swept the Appalachians. It was a powerful move of God. Uh, there, were, there were many displays of, of the power of God, people, uh, testimonies that came out of, of, of that revival. But other revivals broke out across America. During the Second Great Awakening, orphanages were created across the land. Schools were and universities, hospitals, programs to assist the poor... I'm telling you, when the church gets revived, it will answer all of the needs of society, the culture. We just need a a great awakening. I read this week in a book that someone gave me last Sunday, Satan, You Can't Have My Country. And uh, I, I read something I wanted to read about someone that came out of that second great awakening. There was a Sunday school teacher that no one knew this person's name, and still in history, you only know this if you know this story, but the Sunday school teacher's last name was Kimball. A 19th century Sunday school teacher led a Boston shoe clerk to Christ. The teacher's name you've never heard was Kimball. The name of the shoe clerk you have heard, Dwight Moody. Moody became an evangelist after his salvation. He had a major influence on a young preacher named Frederick Meyer. Meyer began to preach on college campuses, and while doing so, he won Wilbur Chapman to Christ. Chapman became involved with the YMCA and arranged for a former baseball player, Billy Sunday, to come to Charlotte, North Carolina, for a revival. Now You see this going over, over years A group of Charlotte community leaders were so enthusiastic afterward they planned another campaign for Charlotte and they brought Mordecai Ham to town to preach. In that revival, a young man named Billy Graham yielded his life to Christ. No sower of small seeds can know the extent of the harvest. Nobody knows Kimball, but he led a shoe clerk to the Lord. And because of a shoe clerk, history repeats and and continues. And Billy Graham came to Christ. And I was reading this week how many souls Billy Graham has affected over his ministry. And it's incredible. But as a part of the the second great awakening, there was a prayer revival that began in New York City under Jeremiah Lamphere. He was a businessman. And he just began meeting at noon. And, And And before that prayer revival was over, more than one million people had been added to the kingdom of God. Churches everywhere, businesses everywhere, at noon would close their doors and people would come to pray. There was a revival during the Civil War. I I never knew this until studying this week, but on both the Union forces and Confederate forces, more than 300,000 soldiers gave their life to Christ during the actual Civil War. There were chaplains that were preaching the gospel during those days and calling those young soldiers to repentance. Urban revivals 1875 to 1885. Dwight Moody preached to more than 2,500,000 people as as many gave their life to Christ. The turn of the century there was great revivals fires that spread across Pennsylvania, New York, Michigan, Colorado, Nebraska, North Carolina, South Carolina, Azusa Street, 1906. On April 9th, they'll celebrate the 110th anniversary of Azusa Street. And they're trying to gather many people to Los Angeles to celebrate uh, that great outpouring uh, of of the Spirit, uh, which many Pentecostal denominations track their spiritual roots to. There was post-World War awakenings, the latter rain movement, the healing revivals, Bill Bright, Billy Graham's ministry taking off to touch tens of thousands. In fact, he preached to more than 180 million people in 400 crusades. That's incredible. In the 60s and 70s, the charismatic renewal, the Jesus movement. In 1990s, Toronto blessing, Brownsville, the Modesta outpouring, promise keepers on and on friends there have been pockets of revival uh, down through uh, we had the first great awakening the second great awakening but then many pockets of revival but I'm praying that history's going to repeat itself I'm praying for a move of God I, I read about history I've, I've read all this and I said God what about today What about 2016? What about Jacksonville? What about repeating yourself today, oh God? Visit this nation. Visit our city. Visit our families. Learn the lesson. History is there for a reason. To read it, to study it. And my my heart is thrilled to read over all that God's done, but my heart throbs to see a move of God today. A revival to break out that will shake this generation. But point number three, the history of Evangel Temple, because God raises up local churches. And I want our worship team to come back. But I just want to, I read you a little history last week, and I thought I'd read a little more because we're celebrating 71 years. 71 years in the month of March as a church family. But a special meeting was called on October the 2nd, 1964 for the purpose of selecting a new pastor. At this meeting, Reverend Cecil Wiggins was suggested as a candidate for pastor. The members present requested that Reverend Tyus contact Reverend Wiggins in Memphis, Tennessee to come as a candidate for our pastor. Reverend Wiggins and his wife agreed to come and to minister to our church on October the 11th, 1964. At a meeting on October the 11th, 1964, an election was held and a vote was taken for our new pastor. The members present and eligible to vote, there was a majority vote, and Reverend Wiggins was elected to serve as pastor and was scheduled to take over his duties in the middle part of November 1964. I want to put up a picture of what the buildings looked like in 1964. This is actually a picture of 59, but it looked the very same in 1964 uh, when our family moved to Jacksonville from Memphis, Tennessee. That is the building across the street And uh, as the way it was. And then the next picture shows the way the family looked. Amen. Oh, my goodness. And then the next picture I found in the archives. I've been studying history, and I thought, I wonder what my dad's first sermon was that he preached to this congregation as a newly elected pastor. And I found the notes and it, this was from Wednesday night, his first sermon, November the 18th, 1964. And I want everybody to stand. From Acts 27, 20, when all hope is gone. The and the storm, had sunk their ship. And the tempest was, was they, they were, they had fled the boat and, And it looked like everything was going the wrong way. Hope was gone. But he ends the message with God's promise of faithfulness. They had to toss some things overboard, precious cargo that they valued. But, friends, there's some things that we can throw overboard today if we're pursuing God, if we're going after God. And there's some lessons we can learn from history that if we're going to have a move of God, I, I, I believe revival is now, revival is present. I believe God's wanting to do something in 2016 to shake our world. But there's got to be some people that arise to prayer, arise to fasting, arise to seeking God. Amen? The service tonight, the call, is a part of calling this church to a spiritual awakening, to let's hungering and thirsting for a greater touch and move of God. There's a call. This Tuesday, with the elections taking place, today is the last opportunity for early voting. I went and voted early this week and was talking uh, to the folk that were working the polls there. And uh, they said, you know, we have more people come on Sunday than any other day of the week. And I thought, well, it must be because pastors get up and remind people, go vote. And you need to go vote. Amen. It is an It is, you know, I have preached in nations, in communist nations. I remember preaching in communist China and standing in a college before a large classroom of students. And I I allowed them to ask me questions. And one of them asked, one of the students asked me, said, what does it feel like to have the opportunity to vote? And I thought, you know, that is something we take for granted And we're very flippant about and not not prayerful enough about. And so we begin to talk about that. And those students were just overwhelmed at the thought of being able to go and express their personal opinion about who should run their nation. What a privilege. Friends, we're blessed in America. You should never take your God-given privileges for granted. count it a privilege. And every time I go in and vote, I bow my head and I say Holy Spirit, guide me and help me to vote for the person that will reflect Jesus, that will bring God principles back into our nation. And I know the choices many times are hard and difficult. Friends, God's going to raise up people. The heart of the King is in the hands of the Lord and God causes one to rise and God causes one to fall and God is the God of history and you ought to exercise your privilege and responsibility to vote this week but also you ought to fast with us and you ought to pray with us I'm going to send some pastors to Washington and they're going to pray with those other pastors that come in from across the nation and they're going to believe God to shake this nation turn this nation but there's got to be a crying out in the churches we got to have a revival. I was so encouraged Friday night to just see this sanctuary where young people all across this room just raising their hands, going after God, and to see that altar call of young people. I'm telling you, this is not a lost cause. When all hope seems gone, we're going to turn to Jesus. Amen. We're going to call on the name of the Lord. We're going to press into God for a great awakening to take place. I want that to happen in my lifetime. I want everyone that wants revival in America and in your home and family, I want you to make your way to this altar right now. You want to see revival in this nation. You want to see revival to your family, to your children. I want you to make your way to this altar right now. Those that can kneel, please kneel. If you can't, you can stand or you can sit towards the front. I want everyone, I want you to begin to pray right now, all across this room, everyone online. Let's pray for our nation, pray for revival. Come on, everyone pray. Come on, everyone pray. Call on the Lord. Oh God, visit our nation. Oh God, visit our families. Touch our little ones. That our children might be saved. That our children might walk in the ways of God. That this generation following us will see the salvation of the Lord. Forgive us, oh God. Come on, everyone pray. Everyone pray all across this sanctuary. Lord, we cry out. We repent, Lord. Forgive our nation. Forgive our nation, oh Lord. We repent for the sins of our nation, the idolatry. Lord, we have embraced false idols. We have embraced idolatry in America. We have served those idols. We've rose up to play in front of those idols. Forgive us, O God. Forgive us, O God. Forgive us, O God. Forgive us. We repent, Lord. We call our nation to you. We call our nation back to Jehovah God, Yahweh God. Lord heal our land you said if my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves Lord you're not looking for the world to humble themselves you're looking for your people to humble themselves come on friends if you've got unsaved children this is a good time to pray for them right now an awakening among your children an awakening among your family Lord, visit Jacksonville, northeast Florida, southeast Georgia. Oh, God, come to us. Lord, we don't want it to take judgment. We're trying to learn the lessons of history. God, we're trying to see the lessons of history, the marks of history. Lord, there have been great moves of God, great revival, but people prayed. People sought you. People came in fastings and prayers. Hungry for you more than anything else. Come to us in this hour. Visit us, oh God. Touch America. Touch our nation, oh God. Touch our nation. everyone to lift your hands towards the north and towards washington dc and i want us to pray over all of our leaders of this nation there needs to be a great awakening our nation's leaders need to have their eyes open every one of them and i want us to pray come on everybody lift your voice father come on lift your voice father in the name of jesus god we pray for our president today our vice president our leaders of congress the supreme court Lord, we lift up our voice. We sound our voices like a trumpet, O Lord, that you would visit Washington. That God, all of the evil, all of the unrighteousness, God, will be sent out, Lord, and dealt with. And I pray that the Spirit of God would move, Lord, as tens of thousands of pastors prepare to go. Lord, in about three weeks, I pray for a mighty visitation of God to take place. I pray that in our nation's capital, O oh Lord, something will happen to the saving of America. Lord, touch our president today. Touch our vice president. Lord, for God, both houses of Congress, the Senate, the House of Representatives. Lord, they all need a personal visitation. Holy Ghost, we release your fine work in this hour to touch each leader of this nation to deal with them, to open their eyes spiritually. Lord, I pray, help them to see the spiritual plight of a nation. And Lord, to be a part of the solution of seeing America turn back to God. Lord, give us righteous leaders. I want everybody to pray for righteous leaders. Father, I pray, give us people that will honor the Word of God. Give us people that will honor the holy covenants of the Lord. That will honor the Bible that will stand for truth. Lord, we're praying that righteousness will be exalted in this nation. You said that sin would be a reproach to any people. And so, Lord, we come to you believing that, Father, the history of America, the many pockets of revival and the two great awakenings, Lord, give us hope to believe there's something on the horizon. That, God, you're doing something in this hour. Oh, Lord, not just a pocket, but a great awakening across this nation, we pray in Jesus' name. Come on, let's raise our hands and everybody just begin to praise the Lord now. Come on, just begin to praise the Lord. Hallelujah. We give you glory, Lord. We give you praise. We magnify you. Hallelujah. more aware of your presence experience the glory This week on historic revivals, I I read a lot of the revivals were marked with manifestations, with miracles, healings, signs. I mean, talking about things that just happened and and people were just touched by the power of God. We can't seek the manifestation. We seek the presence of God. Amen. And and those things will happen and, and mighty things will display, but we're not seeking those things. We're seeking Him. And uh, as I was studying this week and thinking, Lord, I sense in my spirit this shift is taking place. And then it came back to me what John Kilpatrick preached two weeks ago this morning. And he was talking about when, when you're in the, the uh, Judah time, you're still with Leah. You're still you're waiting on the Rachel. You're waiting on the Joseph, the dream, the vision to culminate that Judah represented praise and I was just thinking about that and it was like God said you're going to praise my way right into that next level of what I'm about to release in this nation and God wants a people of praise you know there was a prophecy in the Azusa Street Street Revival 110 years ago that when Christ came back he would come back in the midst of a praising church that the church would just be a big part of what we were doing was praising the Lord that was a prophecy in 1906 and it just clicked in my mind that to transition us to our Joseph we got to be a part of our Judah which is praise and I want us to lift up some Judah praise before we leave this house because I believe he's wanting to transition us to the next level of the move of the Holy Ghost that's gonna catch this nation on fire Come on, let's praise the Lord, everybody. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. We give you praise, Almighty God. Your
2: spirit, I will rise from the the resurrection.